Good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode of Lori's Talk News Radio. It is Wednesday, March the 25th. We've got Alan Bailey on with us again uh, in his Restoring Biblical Church series and the uh, sub-series he's been working on here is uh, The Sovereignty of God Over People. This is going to be like part two of that. He's been reading from a book, but I'll let Alan get into that. So, Anyway, Alan, thanks for joining us again this evening. Hope hope things are going as well as can be expected in this day and age and some of the things we were talking about. But nonetheless, thank you for joining us again. Oh, you're welcome. I've, I'm glad to be here and uh, uh, hope hope people are enjoying uh, this uh, reading that I've been doing on, uh, this is from a book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, uh, published by Nav Press. You could probably still get a copy of it, I'm sure. It was a popular book. And uh, it deals with, it deals with the sovereignty of God, which uh, that may not mean, that's one of those big words. It just means God's God's rule over, God's uh, control over the the universe, the world. I I think sometimes we have a uh, what has happened is that those of us who are concerned about what's going on in the world, in America and the problems we're facing, uh, can very easily uh, begin to. Uh, look at the problem, look at the enemy around us, and, uh, I mean, you can just name them off, you know, the the enemies that seem to be confronting uh, America and uh, Protestant Christians. You can uh, look at the the Pope and the Vatican and all their uh, machinations that they do around the world, and then you can look at the communists, then you can look at the the Muslims, you can look at the uh, the bankers, you can look at all of the different, I mean, the bar association, the lawyers, the court system, and after a while you kind of get depressed because it feels like, man, it's just a... It's just hopeless. It's just uh, the the enemy is so overwhelming. Satan is just in control and seems to own everything. And and to me, I Christians need to have a different view of that. Christians need to have a a much bigger concept of God. I get frustrated with these guys that come on and talk about the Nephilim and. Uh, all of this stuff, uh, you know, all of the stuff going on about that. But they never talk about the good angels. They never talk about the the angels on our side, the angels, the good angels that are fighting for us, the the Christians around the world that, uh, I, I mean, I think we in America have this concept that if America goes down, I mean, it must be the end of the world. If America, you know, if America goes down, uh, it's just uh, nothing else would matter, you know. It's just like that, you know. And it's like the Israelites back at the time of Jesus when uh, Jerusalem was, was about to fall and they were... Uh, just sensing it was the end of the world. It was the end of their world, as they could conceive of it. 
And I think this is how we in America, we in America have become so arrogant and feel like we are so exceptional and that uh, we are just kind of the be-all, end-all of uh, humanity. And if something happens to us, then... And to me, this is just the wrong way to look at God. I'll tell you for I'll tell you one thing. I mean, one one program I listen to, the Hagmans, they say something like this. I don't know if it's word for word, but they say, if America goes down, the freedom of the world will be gone. You know. Well, I'm sorry to say that uh, the freedom of the world and the salvation of the world doesn't depend on America. It depends on Jesus Christ and God who is on the throne in heaven and things are going okay. I mean, they're not they're not sweating. They're not worried about things. They're not all they may be concerned about things, but they're not uh wringing their hands about it. Uh and we need to see our God from this glorious perspective that the Bible gives to us. Too often we see Satan as the as the big bully, and we just are we don't have any hope, you know, because Satan is controlling the world. And I just I don't believe that. I, I the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that uh, Satan certainly is active, but Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did. He did on the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. And we can, with the power of God, with the authority of Jesus Christ, we can, uh, I think it's in Romans 16, we can step on, on the throat of Satan. We can, we can triumph over Satan. But we, don't, we, we simply need to get back to some of the basic fundamental truth of the Bible that we seem to have forgotten or we never seem to talk about anymore. And that's why I'm reading this book about the sovereignty of God because it it gets us back to a uh, more uh, glorious at, uh, regard for God and belief in God. This is the question. Do you really believe in God? Do you believe that God owns everything in the world? That Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and in earth? Do you believe that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God far, far above all principality and power and any name that's given anywhere? Do you believe that? That's what the New Testament teaches. That this is the attitude Christians ought to have in the face of evil, in the face of whatever the world throws at us. This is the attitude we are to have. That Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. And we are part of that kingdom. We are helping to advance that kingdom. And we just need to have more optimism, more hope uh, for the future. And I think that begins with our concept of God. And this is what uh, I'm working on here in these... I'm, I'm just going to be reading uh, two or three chapters of this book, and we're in the second one. This is about God's sovereignty over people. And he's going to begin uh, tonight by asking the question, does God permit evil? Does God permit evil? 
Of course, God does not always restrain the wicked and harmful actions of others toward his own people. We see this even in the account of the rebuilding of the temple in the Old Testament book of Ezra. There was a period of perhaps ten years when the project was stopped due to opposition from the enemies of the Jews. This is from Ezra chapter 4. We do not know why God allowed the enemies of his people to prevail at that time and restrain them at another. It is enough to know that God can and does restrain the harmful acts of others toward us when that's his sovereign will. Furthermore, God in his infinite wisdom and love intends that good ultimately come from those harmful acts. The classic oft-quoted story of Joseph illustrates this truth so well. When Joseph's brothers decided to sell him into slavery, God did not restrain them. Neither did he restrain Potiphar's wife when she maliciously and unjustly accused him. But in God's time, he turned those circumstances around for Joseph's good and the good of Joseph's extended family. God was orchestrating the wicked acts of people exactly as he planned in order to accomplish his purpose through Joseph. In the end, Joseph could look back over all the difficult circumstances and say to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many people alive today. Genesis 50, verse 20. Commenting on Joseph's story, Professor Burkauer said, Joseph's brothers devise and execute their plans. Aroused by jealousy, they gradually commit themselves irrevocably to their chosen course of evil. Their evil plan achieves historical realization, but the historical events are products of the divine activity of God. God's good intentions follow the mischievous path of the brothers, or rather the brothers unwittingly follow the path that God has blazed. They work in His service. The purpose of God lights up the horizon of evil, jealous, malicious activity. Commenting on those same events, Alexander Carson said, From the history of Joseph, we may see that the same thing may be from man in one point of view and from God in another point of view. And that when man may do sinfully, what man may do sinfully to the injury of the people of God, God may affect through them for the good of his people. It is man's work, yet it is, in another view, God's work. Sometimes, according to the Bible, God even moves in the hearts of some people to act stubbornly. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. This is when the Israelites were about to go up and... uh, conquer the land of Canaan, they ask a couple of uh, these places if they could pass through peacefully because they didn't have, God had said, uh, I'm, you know, don't attack them, just ask them to pass through. But God hardened the heart of Sihon, king of Heshbon. 
For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands as he has now done. Deuteronomy 2 verse 30. And again, for it was the Lord himself who hardened his heart to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua 11, verse 20. There are admittedly some difficult things to understand in both of those passages, as well as many other. I mean, you could put this, uh, put in here the, the story about uh, Pharaoh, Moses and Pharaoh. You remember that interaction for several chapters in Exodus 5 through 10 or 11 there between Moses and Pharaoh. And it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, but then the very next passage will say God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So there are admittedly some difficult things to understand about these passages. My purpose is not to attempt an explanation, a complete explanation, but rather to exhibit once again the Bible's consistent teaching that God is able and does move upon the hearts and minds of people to accomplish His purposes. Yet it is also it also seems equally clear from these passages that God does this without violating or coercing or forcing their wills, but rather that He's in His mysterious way through their wills, to accomplish his purposes. There is no doubt that Sihon and the Canaanite kings wanted, of their own free will, to do exactly what the scriptures say God caused them to do. How does God do that? I don't know. Do you? That's God. That's the secret things that belong to God. God is never at a loss because he cannot find someone to cooperate with him in carrying out his plan. He so moves in the hearts of people, either Christians or non-Christians, it makes no difference that they willingly, of their own free will, carry out his plans. Do you need the good favor of a certain professor in order to get a good recommendation for a job? If that job is God's plan for you, God is able to and will move in the heart of that professor to give you a good recommendation. Are you dependent upon your boss or your commanding officer for advancement in your career? God will move in the heart of your boss or commander one way or the other, depending upon God's plan for you. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. He brings one down he exalts another. Psalm 75, 6, and 7. Your promotion or lack of it is in the hand of God. Your superiors are simply His agents to carry out His will. They are not conscious of doing His will and probably never intended to do His will unless, of course, they are Christians prayerfully seeking to do the will of God but that does not alter the result of your life. You can trust God in all the areas of your life where you are dependent upon the favor or the frown of another person. 
God will move in that person's heart to carry out his will and his plan for you. The problem of God's sovereignty. Earlier I asked you, I'm just reading here, earlier I asked you to set aside for the moment the problem that is raised by the assertion of God's sovereignty over people. We will now look at that problem briefly. As we do so, it will be helpful to keep in mind that the biblical writers never seem to be aware of the problem except for one statement by Paul in Romans chapter 9, 19 through 21. And Paul's statement seemed to raise, seems to raise more problems for us than it solves. So while the Bible asserts both God's sovereignty and people's freedom of choice and own moral responsibility, it never attempts to explain their relationship. As we seek to examine this question, there are three truths that we need to consider. The first is that God is infinite in his ways as well as his being. A finite mind simply cannot comprehend an infinite being beyond what he has expressly revealed to us. That's what uh, I was saying. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed in the word of God are given to us that we might we may, might make a little bit of sense out of what's going on in the world, uh, in, our little, in our little corner of the world. And that's why God has revealed what he has to us in the Bible. It's what we need. That's not everything that's going on, and it certainly doesn't explain everything, uh, but it explains enough to us. Because of this, some things about God will forever remain a mystery to us. This is what faith is all about. The relationship of the sovereign will of God to the freedom and moral responsibility of people is one of those mysteries. Basil Manley, one of the founding fathers of the Southern Baptist Convention, while commenting on this difficult subject in one of his sermons said, the scriptures do not undertake to explain mysteries. They leave them unexplained. There is a difference between difficulties and mysteries. Difficulties may be removed. Mysteries cannot without a new revelation or the bestowment of a higher intellect. I believe one of our problems in dealing with this subject is that we tend to view the interaction between God and man on the same level as the interaction between man and man. In Psalm 50, verse 21, God says, You thought I was altogether like you. While the context of those words is completely different from our subject, the statement is appropriate to it. We tend to think of God as being like us. We tend to think that God can act upon the human mind only in the same way that we can. We can argue, persuade, or even coerce, but we cannot move a person's will. And yet the scriptures teach repeatedly that God does move a person's will, but in such a way that the person acts freely and voluntarily. Furthermore, sovereignty on a human plane suggests force and coercion 
people doing things against their wills, as in the subjection of slaves to masters. But the scriptures never portray God's sovereignty in that manner. The second truth we must keep in mind is that God is never the author of sin. Though people's sinful intentions and actions serve, we must never conclude that God has induced anyone to sin. James chapter 1.13 says, When you are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he of his own desire, evil desire, is drawn away and enticed. James 1, 13 and 14. It is frequently asserted in the scripture that God uses the sinful actions of men to accomplish his purposes. <clears throat> this is repeatedly uh, a principle you find in the Bible. But the fact that people's sinful intentions and actions serve the sovereign purpose of God does not make God the author of their sin, nor make them any less culpable or responsible for their actions. God judges people for the very sins that he uses to carry out his purposes. This truth is taught in such passages as Isaiah 10, 5-16, and we will look at that in another chapter, he says. The third truth to keep before us is that the Bible consistently portrays people as making real choices of their own free will. There is never any suggestion in Scripture of people being mindless puppets moved by divine streams. Furthermore, the choices people make are moral choices, that is, people are held accountable by God for the choices they make. The actions of Judas, Herod, and Pilate were wicked acts even though done under the sovereign appointment of God. The selling of Joseph into slavery was a malicious, wicked act by his brothers even though the act accomplished the sovereign purpose of God for Joseph and his family. The Bible teaches both the sovereignty of God and the free will moral choices of men with equal emphasis. Richard Fuller, the third president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said, It is impossible for us to reject either of these great truths, and it is equally impossible for our minds to reconcile them. I think that's a pretty good statement, yeah. But just as we must not misconstrue God's sovereignty so as to make people mere puppets, so we must not press man's freedom to the point of limiting God's sovereignty. Professor Burkauer again helps us when he says, He who does injustice to this freedom of the creature does injustice to the word of God, which already in paradise places man at a crossroad and gives him the choice of which road he will take. But in the light of Scripture, it is decisive that this creaturely freedom poses no threat or limitation to the sovereign and almighty divine enterprise. We are forced to direct ourselves to the divine revelation, which reveals to us the almighty activity of God, 
and at the same time teaches human responsibility. And anyone who does not take both this divine ruling and human responsibility seriously can never rightly understand history. Our response to this. So how shall we respond to the fact that God is able and does, in fact, move in the minds and hearts of people to accomplish his will? Our first response should be one of trust. Our careers and destinies are in his hands, not the hands of bosses, commanding officers, professors, coaches, and all other people who, humanly speaking, are in a position to affect our futures. No one can harm you or jeopardize your future apart from the sovereign will of God. Moreover, God is able to and will grant you favor in the eyes of people who are in a position to do you good. You can entrust your future to God. We should then look to God in prayer in all those situations where some aspect of our future lies in the hands of other people. Let me ask you this. Does our future right now seem to you to lie in the hands of other people? (laughs) I mean, it lies in the hands of the government, of the leaders of the world, right? And we, are, we can become so overwhelmed by this that we just absolutely lose any hope. But what we need to realize is that these, the entire world is in the hands of God. God owns the world, not Satan. Jesus is the ruler of the world, not Satan. And we need to remember this. We need to, this should affect how we pray. This should affect how we live. This should affect how we see history. This should affect how we see the future. And it should cause us to realign our wills to the will of God, and it should affect how we see what's going on in the world. Why is all of this happening in the world? Why is wickedness seem to be winning or that judgment seems to be coming? Well, it may have something to do with our personal attitude toward the will of God. And the church's response to the will of God in America and around the world. Maybe that's what God's trying to do, is to wake up the churches to get them to do what's right. I mean, we need to look at it from God's perspective. As Alexander Carson said, if we need the protection of men... Let us first ask it from God. If we prevail with him, the power of the most mighty and of the most wicked must minister to our relief. When Queen Esther was to go before King Xerxes without being summoned, an act that would normally result in her being put to death, she asked Mordecai to gather all the Jews together to fast and presumably to pray that the king would grant her favor. Esther did not presume to know God's will for sure. She said, if I perish, I perish. But she certainly knew that God controlled the king's heart. Obviously, we do not always know how God will answer our prayers or if he will move in the heart of another individual. But it is enough to know that our destiny is in his hands, not those of other people. I mean, this is, that principle is stated many times through the Bible. The story of uh, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes to mind in Daniel chapter 3. They, they said, even though you may throw us in this fiery furnace, we are not going to bow down. And if we perish, if we, if we get burned up, we get burned up. If that's the case, our God's able to save us if he wants to, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to this idol. That's the commitment. That's the attitude that we need to have. We need to have confidence in God and God's, God's ability to respond to our prayers uh, and to uh, accomplish his purposes, whatever those purposes are. Confidence in God's sovereignty in the lives of his people should also keep us from be, becoming resentful and bitter when we are treated unjustly or maliciously by others. Bitterness usually stems not so much from the other person's actions as from the effects of those actions on our lives. Consider the following scenario in your life. You have just been unjustly fired from your job for some reason entirely unrelated to your performance. After a couple of months of fruitless job hunting, you find yourself standing in the unemployment line. As you stand there, you brood over the injustice perpetrated on you by your former boss. You're resentful and bitter. Now suppose on the day you're unjustly, you were unjustly fired, as you walk out the door, you meet a man looking for someone with your skill and experience who offers you a better job at twice the salary. Now, there is one additional qualification. You must have had the experience of being unjustly fired. You gladly accept the job and thoroughly enjoy your new position. Do you ever become bitter? No, you think something such as, I'm sure glad old Jones fired me. If he hadn't, I would never have gotten this great job. You see, it's the effects of your being fired, not the act itself that determines whether you are tempted to become bitter. Now God sometimes allows people to treat us unjustly. And another thing I would say is that a lot of times, uh, why we become bitter is because of our own expectations. We expect people to respond to us uh, in a certain way. We have expectations in our marriages, in our with our children, with other people, in the church, at work, wherever we are. And we have expectations of how we would like for them to respond to us. And when they don't respond to us, when, when our expectations are uh, you know, frustrated and people treat us you know, uh, the opposite of what we would expect or want, then we have a tendency to become bitter. But the question is, in God's sight, is maybe this is exactly what we need. Maybe this is exactly what we need. Maybe this is exactly what the churches of America need uh, in order to wake up, in order for the churches uh, to wake up. Maybe this is what we need. We need to look at it from a different perspective. Now, God sometimes allows people to treat us unjustly. Sometimes he even allows their accounts, their actions, 
to seriously affect our careers or our futures viewed on a human plane. But God never allows people to make decisions about us that undermine His plan for us. God is for us. We are His children. He delights in us. That doesn't mean we will never suffer. It doesn't mean we will never be persecuted or even put to death. Jesus says that very plainly. He didn't, I mean, Jesus didn't try to trick us into following him. Jesus said very plainly, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, be ready every day for suffering, for persecution, for the cross. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. So Jesus is very plain about thought. We just have to have confidence that he's doing what's best for us eternally uh, before God. Not necessarily in this world, not necessarily what we, our plan for what we would like. But what God sees eternally is best for us. This is how we need to learn to see life. And the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. We can put this down as a bedrock truth. God will never allow any action against you that is not in accord with his will for you. And his will is always directed to our ultimate good. Why then do we suffer such disappointment when the hope-for favor that we needed from another person doesn't materialize? Why do we struggle with resentment and bitterness when someone else's decision or action adversely affects us? Is it not because it is our plans that have been dashed or our pride that has been wounded? I once attended a seminar on the subject of Christians and stress. One of the speaker's main points was that if we want to live less stressful lives, we must learn to live with a single agenda, God's agenda. He pointed out that we tend to live under two agendas, our agenda and God's agenda, and that the tension between them sets up stress. I think this expression, a single agenda, aptly applies to our discussion of trusting God in the arena of other people's decisions in our lives. God is sovereign over people. He will move their hearts to cause them to do His will, or He will restrain them from doing anything contrary to His will. But it is His will, His agenda for our lives, that God will guard, protect, and advance. We must learn to live by His agenda if we are to trust Him. Some words of caution. Before leaving this subject, there are some words of caution we need to consider lest we wrongly use the doctrine of God's sovereignty over people. First, we should never use the doctrine as an excuse for our own shortcomings. If you fail to get the promotion you had hoped for, or worse yet, you were fired from your job, or fail an important exam, you need to first of all examine your life to see if perhaps, just perhaps, the reason lay in 
your own performance or my own performance. Though God rescued Abraham and Sarah from the folly of Abraham's sin, he had not obligated himself to do so. God has not promised to work in the heart of another individual just to make up for our sinful shortcomings. Second, we should not allow sovereignty to cause us to respond passively to the actions of other people that affect us. We should take all reasonable steps within the will of God to protect and advance our situation. Now that's a pretty good point right there. This is what's not going on with Christians across America and churches. We are just p- totally passive about what's going on. It's like we we don't even notice. We don't even think uh, there's nothing we can do. There's not anything we should be doing that much. Uh, it's beyond our control. It's the end times. Different attitudes like that. But let me read this again. We should take all reasonable steps within the will of God to protect and advance our situation. I say within the will of God because there may be other reasons for the sake of God's kingdom why we should not take those steps. And we should consider carefully the will of God, the word of God, the teaching of the Bible. But the doctrine of God's sovereignty considered by itself should never be used to promote a passive attitude. And third, we must never use the doctrine of God's sovereignty to excuse our own sinful actions or decisions that hurt another person. We must never say, well, I made a mistake, but it's okay because God is sovereign. God is indeed sovereign in that other person's life, and he may choose to use our sinful actions to accomplish his will, but he will still hold us accountable for our harmful decisions and sinful actions. It's still true. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. A scripture passage that can help us keep the doctrine of God's sovereignty in perspective is Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed in the Bible belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. We do not know what God's sovereign will is all the time. We do not know how he will work in the heart of another individual, whether favorably or unfavorably from our viewpoint. That's in the realm of the secret things that are not revealed to us. We do know he will work to accomplish his purpose, which is ultimately for our ultimate good. Our duty then is to obey the things revealed. That is, the will of God as revealed in Scripture for every area of life. We are to pray for God's will to be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. Scripture teaches us to be prudent, conscientious, and responsible, and to do our jobs or our studies as best we can. If we find that, in spite of our best efforts, 
a superior or a teacher regards us unfavorably, we must then trust God for the eventual outcome of that relationship. Sometimes God will change the person's attitude toward us. At other times, he may even allow it to grow worse. In either case, the person's heart is in the hands of God. He will direct it according to his divine sovereign purpose for his glory and for our good. And next, uh, next week, uh, the lesson will be about God rules over the nations of the world. God rules over the nations of the world. That's one that we need to be reminded of, that God is in control. Things are not out of control. They're under his control. And uh, let's have a prayer, and then we'll have uh, some discussion. I've got through this pretty quick tonight, so that's, that's good. Heavenly Father, just increase our, our understanding, Father, as much as humanly possible, it's humanly possible for us, reveal yourself more fully and completely to us through your word that we might understand and have a proper awe and fear and respect and reverence for you and your, your sovereign power. We read these passages and they are just they're beyond our comprehension. You are so far high above our ability to comprehend. And yet you came in the person of Jesus, a human being, a fully a human being, to illustrate what it would be like to live a perfect human life. Please, Father, work in our hearts to become more and more like Jesus. Shape and mold us into the image of Christ that we might bring more glory to you. No matter what the circumstances we face, we want to glorify your name that others would come to reverence and respect you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, and, and thank you, Alan. Uh, uh, first of all, before I proceed, is my sound okay? Yeah, it's good. It's real good, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, it went kind of quick because I muted out, and I, I uh, determined I was not going to get in until till, till you were done, so I've been trying to take some notes. But, you know, it, it amazes me sometimes where you pick up and leave off at and how it ties right into some of the same thoughts that I was having on it. You know, earlier you mentioned about uh, these things all going on and and how God wasn't really shocked or surprised. You know, he's concerned, but he's not, you know, sitting there wringing his hands. And Pastor Meyer used to used to make a statement. And I, I'm going to say it, I think, the way he used to say it, and I'm going to reverse it because it has the same thing. And I'm going to say you, I mean one. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Or let me put that the other way. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever dawned on God? He's never surprised by anything. Yeah. And 
you, you know, one of the things when we get wrapped up in this is people, you know, that have done the history, I know you've gotten into some of this too, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in and of itself. We, we do, I think, get absorbed in it. As we hear about all this, oh, the framers and this and that, and blah, 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 and the French Revolution, blah, blah, blah. They were all deists. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I think sociologically, and, and, and it's infiltrated in the church, we have very deistic tendencies and, and, and thought processes ourselves this day and age. Almost like Satan's down here running amok or whatever, uh, unchecked by God. I mean, I, 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 nobody really says that. But a lot of the things they say, I, I don't know how it could... Some of the things people say, I don't know if they could... How they could say that without believing it. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say there? Yeah. I, I think that's exactly how a lot of... Uh, I think that's the result. That's the practical... Uh, emotional result of dispensational futurism. What that's done to people. That it's just, it's left people with this feeling that that uh, there's just, uh, there's no hope, you know. We're on the Titanic. Some of them even say it like that, you know. We're on the Titanic. It's already hit the iceberg. We're going down. There's no, I mean, Satan is at the helm and it's, everything's just, just awful and the only hope is that Jesus will come back uh, and by force get rid of all the bad guys and set up his kingdom you know in Jerusalem and I I just don't believe that's the mindset that Christians need to have the Christians need to have a more optimistic attitude of faith and hope and love and trust in God, and that we are working with God, and God knows exactly what He's doing. And if if this, we've said it, you've said it before, and uh, that you know, if if one person doesn't work out, you know, over here, if God had this plan, you know, this pawn or whatever it is, you know, He He had this play over here with this person, and they're not going to do it. Okay, they. Uh, rebel, or they're not going to cooperate, and so, uh, okay, game's over, right? No. <laughs> God, ha- God has all of these contingency plans. If America goes down, do you think that's the end of the kingdom of God? Well, no. No. I mean, uh, God has all of... Uh, God is working all around the world in ways that we cannot even imagine. And that's the attitude. I mean, we need to have this attitude. And God is, we just, I think our attitude has become so pessimistic. So we look at, we look at all these conspiracy theories. And that's one thing I've always thought about. And there's, there's, there's truth in this stuff. I think that's some of what's gone on. And uh, Satan is always doing conspiracy stuff. He doesn't want to do it out in the open. But if that's all we look at, if we just get wrapped up in all this stuff, it it just gives us a very dark, dark, uh, hopeless uh, concept about the future. And I, I just don't think that's what uh, we as Christians, uh, that's not the attitude we need to have. Yeah, you, you, you brought up about 
this dispensational futurism and this this waiting and and so I'm going to have to jump to point number five, but that's all right. I'll, I'll come back <laughs> and brought up another point too. You know, the the thing is, I've said it before. These 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 people, these entities, they're very pragmatic. They don't care what you think or what you believe. They care what you do and don't do. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're waiting on a rapture or you're waiting on a return. The result is the same thing: do nothing, apathy. And and that that just is not from what I can tell from Scripture, nor from Christian history, 150, 200 more years ago. That that's not that's not what what I understand there. No. No. And you 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 made a, a comment earlier too uh, that you were listening to Hagman's and they had made some comment, something to the effect, and I've I've heard it myself too. Uh, Spoused it probably more than one time myself about that if America falls, there goes freedom around the world. And you know it's it, it's interesting because to me that's 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 a substitute. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the sun makes you free, you should be free indeed. Who is this America? Why are we substituting uh, Christ with America? Hello. Yeah. 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 People just need to analyze stuff with the Bible. You know, biblical truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the other things too. And these these kind of tie in. You know, w- one of the things you were mentioning earlier that I wrote these coming points down, and and then you you uh, brought about up about God's ways being above ours, and finite beings trying to understand an infinite being, so on and so forth. You know, one of the things that I find is is we we seem to reckon things from a fleshly perspective when we talk about good versus bad uh you, you know it, it's it, if this happens and it, it makes me feel good or it helps me out in a in a fleshly manner then it's good and and vice versa if it's bad and this is not about a, an easy ride this is about as you brought up being conformed to the image of christ that's what the good and the bad is, and we attribute things that are good to the flesh, make us feel good or, or, or benefit us in the flesh somehow, as those are attributes, and that's because of God. And yet if it's something that we reckon as a bad thing in the flesh, that must be of Satan. Well, not necessarily so. If he's got to tweak our flesh a little bit uh, to get our spirit, our image, to change to that conformity of his son, then so be it. Yeah. We we just reckon this this whole thing absolutely wrong and backwards. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about that. Just think about, I mean, a good illustration of that, what you just said, is... is uh, uh, in the going in the military, and I I never have been in the military, but I've known many people who were. And our son went through uh, some basic training like that. And uh, I mean, if you if you would choose, probably nobody would choose to do that. <laughs> Other than you know. You want to get through it. It's going to be painful. You're going to have to do all this stuff. And yet, in my experience, 
some of the best people that I've ever known are military people who have been disciplined in their this experience disciplined them it it trained them to have self-discipline self-control have a positive attitude about things and yet i bet in the middle of that boot camp or the middle of that training that they're going through they were crying out thinking what in the world have i gotten into you know <laughs> wow Yeah, that's that's uh I I agree in, in, in part with with what you said, which kinda ties into to something else that, that, that I have and then I'm 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 just about done here 'cause I know you really wanted to try to wrap it up a bit early this evening, but uh where where'd I go? You know, a couple things on on that since you brought that example up is 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 a child. When when we correct a child be it we're scolding them or actually spanking them i assure you at that age i don't know any child and i'd be concerned about them psychologically and emotionally and they thought oh goody i'm getting a lesson here uh they're, they're not thinking this is a good thing they're reckoning it from the flesh but what are we what are we scolding them or what are we spanking them for because they're misbehaving or they're not doing what they're supposed to do is to conform them into how they're supposed to be hopefully logical legal perspective so that they don't get in trouble down the road and they can be yeah. you know productive members of society i kind of hate to use that but i mean just to put it in, a, in even a secular fashion you know yeah that's and just if you take those what i believe is that these simple illustrations, just like a child, like that good illustration you just gave right there, of a child growing up under under strict discipline, under a parents that loved him and strictly disciplined him into the right attitudes, the right character, and one over here that just, you know, had Dr. Spock's treatment, you know, where it just love him and, uh, you know, let let little Johnny do whatever he wants to do and grow up like that. And if you j just take those that simple illustration and expand it, expand that same concept into the world, you know, and and a nation like the like America. To me, it's like sometimes God, instead of just... Standing over you with a whip, he just lets he lets the nations of the world just go. You know, he said, "If I mean, he he holds out his arms and and teaches and sends messengers to call them to do the right thing. This, if you will do this, these blessings will follow. This is what history teaches you. This is what the Word of God teaches you." But no, we're not going to do that. That lesson you had the other night was really good. No, we will not walk in that. We're going to go this way over here. And what does well, God do? God just God just steps back and says, "Well, knock yourself out, you know. Knock yourself out when you when you wake up down there in the pig pen and the in the hole. Maybe you'll turn around and look to me. I mean, that to me." 
is how the how God kind of works in the world. What do you think about that? Well, I'm, number one, I'm, I'm I'm glad you did hear that. I want to see if you you catch that. Uh, we will not uh, walk therein. Uh, well, I, I agree, and and it's funny you brought that about this big old switch or whatever you said, because I, it, it seems to me that that Christianity is about split down the middle. You you, you got. And I'm going to call them sex because on either end, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're sex. I don't care what denomination or where they go. You, you, you seem to have one, one sect, one, one part that, that thinks that God forgives anybody, anything, all the time, no matter what. Yeah. Then you got this other group that thinks he's just standing there. with. A, I had one guy actually tell me like a sledgehammer, just waiting yeah. like you're a cockroach to get one little step out of line and smash and you're boom. You're, 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 you're toast. Yeah. And I'm going to suggest this, since you brought up children, and this, I got one more point, but this ain't it, because this is one of them ones you sparked. Now, I, I'm going to say it, I'm going to speak it as a human being and use a word that would not apply to God. I see it more as, and I'm sure you've probably done this raising children, when you teach a child to ride a bicycle, they have their little wagon, they have a tricycle, then you get them a bicycle frequently with training wheels. And that first time you're running alongside of them and their little arms are jerking back and forth. And at some point, you have to let them go. You don't want to let them fall. But you yeah. know, at some point, if they're going to learn to ride that bicycle on their own, you're going to have to let them go. And you know what? They may fall. And that's kind of what I see with God. He's raising us up, teaching us to ride that bicycle. And he doesn't want us to fall, but we might yeah yeah that's a good illustration that's what i think too and he lets us go he lets us go and watches and is uh there to kind of you know hug us and kiss us after we skin our knee and bang it you know but he lets us go he lets the nations go like that yeah and the difference is we don't know if Billy or Susie are going to fall or not. We we hope they don't. He does know. That, yeah. That's that's the point that I want to clarify. Yeah. Uh, I I got one more point along these. I kind of end up out of order, so it's kind of going backwards a bit. You know, this uh, reckoning from the flesh, and we we don't uh, God's ways and thoughts are above ours. You know, one of the things that I hear about this, you know, when I was talking about, you know, how we reckon what's good and bad is based really from a fleshly perspective, not a spiritual being conformed to a son. And, I, and I've said several times about, you know, people spiritualizing that which is physical and physicalizing that which is spiritual. And I, I want to I cite one. I don't remember exactly where the verse is at. I didn't pull it up. But you'll know where I'm talking about. It, it, it's talking about how not one hair of your head will be harmed. And, and it amazes me how people will physicalize that, like we're going to be walking through nuclear this and that and every other thing, and they, they cite scriptures about, you know, drinking any deadly thing, and I'm not saying that's outside the realm of possibility. But the point is, when we take that in that manner, I mean, we completely close our eyes and our ears and our brain to history of Christians. There have been many, many pious, stout, staunch Christians that have been burned at the stake and crucified, oh, yeah. everything, including Christ, the apostles, and many, many millions of Christians since then. 
Yeah. And yet I keep on this, is reckoning things from a fleshly perspective on spiritual issues and vice versa. I don't know if you find the same thing, but I, I find it constantly, it seems. Yeah, I, it's like people think, somehow they think our generation is special and that this will not happen to our generation. Yep. And I'm 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 sorry to tell you that's that's not being very wise historically. Well, I, I agree with you, Alan, and and like I said, th- this is the thing with these the, the pragmatism of, of of Satan and and his minions. Again, it, it doesn't matter what you believe, why you believe it. He slash they couldn't care less. What do you do or not do with that? Do yeah. do you sit back on your laurels and on your scruples and go, well, okay, I believe in a rapture, or no, I don't believe in that rapture, but you know what, Christ's going to come before because this generation shall not pass. Really, which generation? You know, and they all want to talk. Well, I shouldn't say they all. I don't want to paint that fraud, but a lot of them turn around with this, you know, and go, oh well, you know, Israel, 1948, blah blah. I know, I've been there, done that. Yeah. And 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 the 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 result is still. Uh, the same is is this this apathy, this lack of of of, of action of of any kind, and yet historically, uh, with Christians at the time of Christ and certainly since, uh, was not just not not been the case. Yeah, that's right. So, but. Uh, anyway, Alan, I, I know you were kind of wanting to cut this one a little bit short this evening. And uh, you got a lot of stuff going on. That's that's uh, you know why we got started a few minutes early. But uh, I want to thank you for coming. I don't know if you got any last minute thoughts to loose ends you want to tie up, or thoughts or comments on anything I've said or whatever. No, I th- I think we've had a real good discussion. I mean, it, it, these principles to me are just foundational that I think a lot of Christians have gotten away from today, and we don't. We need to come back to these bedrock uh, truths about God, and that's where our hope is, you know. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Alan, and that's, that's like I mentioned in there, in that little 13-minute clip you, you referenced a minute ago, is getting back to this foundational, the basics, you know, what whatever, um, I I think is very, very important and I, I just it, it's something we really have to do because it, this stuff is absolutely maddening you know I mean I'm not going to get into a whole thing with a straight gate and narrow way other than to say you know it, it's kind of referencing that I believe in, in, in certain ways you know obstacles close about us. we get caught up in the cares of the world and as I've asked that question a million what are the cares of this world is it just rent is it just food on the table or is it also maybe some of this type of stuff here? And and I believe it is. I think it's cares of this world. Just I think that's why it's worded that way. Yeah, I do too. So anyway, well, okay, I'll go ahead and get this uh, posted up. Shouldn't take too long because this is going to run us just a hair over an hour now, I think. And uh, so I'll get this thing downloaded and get it up on uh, TalkShoe. Uh, just to let you know you and listeners i i did hear back from uh michael heiser he's talking about in april um i'm hoping the first part of april because 
you know, he was he was pretty busy for a while, and it, it sounds like he's heading in that direction. We're just going to have to wait until, you know, he, he gets this window of opportunity, and hopefully we'll be able to get him on and, and continue, you know, with, with uh, that series that we've got there. You know, I'm kind of hoping he can do it on a Tuesday where I'm already playing his recordings, but whatever, we'll see how that goes, so... But, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I always enjoy his stuff. Yep, yep. So do I. All right, Alan. Well, we'll let you go and uh, get this downloaded and, and re-uploaded there to, to uh, talk to you. And uh, you take care of things. And, uh, you know, let, let me know if you have a chance. And we'll we'll uh, get together at some point in time or something if, if you'd like. So Okay, that'd be good. Thanks, Corey. All right, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and stop this.